Altitude's undefeated. Crap, we will punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I don't think I was running and starting to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Rapid Sickos. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. My name is Matt Pollard. I'm coming to you at 10.50 p.m. Mountain Time on Wednesday, August 9th, just a couple of hours after the Rapids 2 Houston Dynamo 2 game that took place at the Richard earlier today. Full time from that game, Rapids 2 1. Dynamo Dose 3, a mostly first-team lineup from Rapids 2 for Eric Boucher tonight, uh, goes down after a Diego Rubio Golasso, and then promptly followed up by three unanswered goals from Houston. Um, Gave Rabbi the week off. Uh, We'll have in a couple of minutes, I spoke over WhatsApp with uh, John Babiak, photographic journalist for Burgundy Wave to talk about the Women's World Cup, what went on with the United States Women's National Team, and then looking at that from a Colorado perspective. So I'll have that coming up in a couple of minutes, but just a few things that I wanted to touch on from a Rapids first team vantage point. Uh, It must have been a late deadline deal in which the Colorado Rapids sent Michael Barrios to LA Galaxy for... Good job, Matt, not having this actually up in front of you when you start the podcast. I'll leave this in. Solo pod, it's going to be a bit messy tonight, folks. Okay, so it was uh, $50,000. It was a first-round pick from the LA Galaxy, their natural first-round pick in the 2024 MLS Super Draft, and then up to fifty k in 2024 general allocation money based on uh, some player performance incentives as well. And that was the one trade that we did not touch on that was announced the morning after Rabbi and I tra- uh, podcasted last week when we podcasted on deadline day, but after the deadline had passed. So one late move that sends another Rapids veteran away from LA Galaxy, away to LA Galaxy. I feel in the macro very similarly to this trade as I did about Brian Acosta to Portland Timbers, where the Rapids did not get a lot in exchange. But the key thing was they got an aging player who was a depreciating asset off of their roster. Michael Barrios was making in the $600,000, a year in terms of compensation. I don't think that he is worth that anymore and I think this trade given the amount of return that the Rapids got back from LAG was just an indication that the biggest thing was them getting the salary off the books and then getting the player off the roster and freeing up that roster spot and freeing up that cash you know it was I think uh, right around 1.3 million combined that they freed up in trading Brian Acosta and Michael Barrios annually in that 
regard. And so if that created the flexibility that allowed them to be cap compliant, give them flexibility for this upcoming offseason, since they don't have to make decisions regarding the player options on Acosta and on Michael Barrios, then I think that's good. And if that made it easier for them to bring in Sidney Tavares, then I think that's certainly a net positive for the club. Where there's a distinct difference from that to the Brian Acosta trade is that Mikey B obviously was a part of the 2021 team and we have a lot of fond memories of him you know he was arguably the most dynamic most exciting player that the Rapids had on that team he certainly uh, you know he fit he was a fan favorite he was beloved by the fans and he played really hard and he worked really hard and he was always exciting and what he was able to do in transition for this club for you know the better part of his first you know two years with the team was revolutionary and necessary to what they tried to do in 2021. Despite being, you know, almost 30, he was able to regularly burn, uh, you know, opposing teams left backs that were younger and in theory more energetic than him. And, you know, as soon as he got in behind and there was a ball from a Danny Wilson, a Jack Price that was switching the field to him, uh, you were really excited. You got off your seat and you couldn't wait to see what happened. And there were a lot of really good things that he did from his goals, from his assists, and just what he did for the team being a part of Los Locos de Los Rapids. And I completely understand why of the players who the Rapids parted ways with this summer, he's the one that hurts the most for Rapids fans. He's the one who Rapids fans have the most nostalgia, the most positive memories of from what he was able to do. And coming from, you know, a a relatively low acquisition cost from FC Dallas and a player who coming from FCD had, you know, had their time at that club had ended and it was time for them to move on. And they came to Commerce City and they revitalized their career for a couple of years. And that was a trade that in the long run did not age well for FC Dallas. And that just gets added on to the long list of trades of Dallas sending, you know, being done with a player, shipping them off to the Colorado Rapids and the Rapids making good on that trade. You know, if we're talking about Drew Moore, Brian Acosta, Michael Barrios certainly fits into that as well. That being said, he was slower. He was not as good. Uh, The last year, year and a half, he'd really been relegated to being a, you know, exclusively a substitute option. He was still a great bench player as well. Um, But, you know, for him, for Brian Acosta, for Anthony Markanich, they're moving on to teams that are higher up in the table. They're moving on to teams where there's an opportunity for them to contribute to them competing for and trying to win something between now and the end of the season and now in MLS Cup. And, you know, most importantly, I I don't know that any of the three of them are moving on to opportunities where they're for sure going to get less minutes. So, um, you know, adios, Mikey. Um, You know, thank you for everything you did for the Colorado Rapids. And, you know, the Rapids are done playing the Galaxy. So at this point, I think most Rapids fans will just be rooting for him to have individual success. And maybe they'll feel a little bit complicated about rooting for him to try and win a ring if it means that the LA Galaxy, you know, get number six, given how most Rapids fans probably feel about the cheese. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention is at the R2 game tonight, there was an opportunity for season ticket members to be in the Northern Boundary. I heard a member of the Rapid staff refer to the Northern Boundary as Nobo, which I think is kind of fun. You know, there's the new revitalized neighborhood close to downtown Denver called River North, which, uh, which you know, is nicknamed Rhino. And so we've got, you know, Rhino, River North, and we've got Nobo, Northern Boundary. I think that's kind of cool and kind of fun. 
And then in part of that, there were a few members of the front office that were speaking at halftime, uh, mostly about R2. And then I did hear from someone on Twitter that uh, Sidney Tavares was supposedly available for uh, a little meet and greet with the fans as well. So it's believed thus that uh, Sidney Tavares has landed and is uh, in his stateside, is mountainside. For the Colorado Rapids, we've not yet seen from a social media standpoint them, uh, the club announcer, put out a bunch of photos or videos of Tavares training in with the team like they did for Rafael Navajo last Wednesday, Thursday at time of recording. But presumably, Sydney will be in with the team in short order and in theory should have, you know, be ready for a full week of training next week ahead of the Sunday, the August 20th match against uh, LA Galaxy, excuse me, against LAFC. And at that point, uh, Navajo, who did make his Rapids organizational debut for R2 earlier tonight, played in the first half, um, was somewhat involved in the Rapids goal, um, will have had two weeks now training and being regularly a part of the team in Commerce City. So I'd have to assume if he was able to go 45 minutes tonight in MLS Next Pro that he should be available for hopefully 60 minutes by the time we get to the Sunday game against LAFC. And hopefully um, by the time we get to there as well, Tavares is available to be a part of the squad even if he's not able to start. There is... One caveat on that game, listeners, LA Galaxy, LA Galaxy, I keep mixing them up. LAFC are still in Leagues Cup. And for the teams that make the semifinals, the third place game and the final are both on Saturday the 19th. I have to imagine if LAFC or any other MLS team makes it to the semifinal and thus has a game on the 19th that then has a game as part of the first match day to resume MLS league play on the 20th, that that game will have to be moved. So I would say if you are watching League's Cup and if there's any ones that you want to put a notification on or check at the end of the match day what happened and everything, looking to see how LAFC is doing. LAFC does have Monterrey in the, what are we now, to the quarterfinals, I believe. Then, you know, if they end up winning that game against Monterrey, then I have to imagine that the Rapids game on the 20th is going to get rescheduled. And if they end up losing the Monterrey, then, you know, I think they've got, what, almost 10 days, at least a week in order to prep for that. And I have to imagine the league would have that game go on as scheduled. So I've done enough rambling about that stuff. Without further ado, listeners, here is my conversation with John Babiak over WhatsApp. Audio quality is not great, but here's my conversation with John as he is down under and continues to cover the Women's World Cup for Burgundy Wave. Hi, listeners. This is Matt Pollard. You're listening once again to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. I'm joined now via WhatsApp call from John Babiak. I want to apologize for the audio quality. John, you're working off of what public hotel Wi-Fi, and we're on the laptop. And because WhatsApp doesn't have a really easy recording way, we're actually recording this on my phone. So uh, apologies for the audio quality. But, uh, John, how are things on for you August 10th uh, in the future, down under in the sun. Well, thank you for having me, Matt. I'm sorry for the poor quality, <laughs> but I'm not even in a hotel. John likes to stay way under budget, so he's in a hostel with a lot of youth and a few old folks, but it, uh, it's been a great experience. I, I'm just blessed 
that uh, I'm here, right? Given uh, you know my health setbacks that I had back in uh, March, April, and surgery and recovery, uh, I really can't believe that I'm here. And it's a beautiful time, uh, winter, but would be equivalent to a lovely fall season uh, or, or period in the U.S. And just being uh, privileged to see some of the world's best women athletes and their supporters is a treat. Whether it's, you know, the U.S. Uh, the other night I was at the Australian game when they won before 74,000 uh, Patriots. And uh, it, it's just a joy to be here. I, I'm really uh, uh, happy and glad that it all worked out. And my intention is to stay till the end of it all and check off uh, a World Cup on my to-do list. It'd be up there with a NHL championship series, a Super Bowl or something to that effect. I don't know if I'll do it again. Well, we have the games in the U.S. Uh, soon, and I, I'm certain we'll do it again there. But internationally, I don't know if I'll... Uh, have the whereabouts to do it again. So this has just been a great, uh, a great tour. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess from a Burgundy Wave perspective, John, uh, we're happy to announce that uh, FIFA has officially credentialed you through the end of the finals. So we'll be, it'll be us and a handful of other American outlets that are going to be covering the entirety of the competition from start to finish um, from uh, from that standpoint. And, uh, you know, John, I know you mentioned some health issues and everything, and we've talked about that a little bit offline. But, John, you're going to have to make it another three years because if, if FIFA was willing to give you uh, a FODOC credential for the Women's World Cup, then if Burgundy Wave keeps going the way that we want to, hopefully there's a current or former Burgundy boy on the, on the team for Triple G in 2026, and we'll be able to cover that competition through to the final, albeit having to take some planes, trains, and automobiles since there won't be anything inside the state of Colorado. John, let's come on to the U.S. women's national team, who obviously had their, I would argue, their least successful World Cup in the in the modern version of the tournament, certainly from 1991 onward. I think it was incredibly heartbreaking, and the soccer gods and the, the Women's World Cup script writers, I think, did wrong by them in that you look at it, they were inches away from going out in the group stage. If you look at that post that was hit by Portugal in the final group stage game, and I would argue it was their best performance that they had against Sweden. You saw the most changes from game to game from Vlako Andonovsky in terms of the starting 11, and it's just, this is a team that could control tempo at times, this was a team that could get into good areas at times, but just from a chance creation standpoint, it wasn't good enough. Alex Morgan, you didn't score you didn't score a World Cup goal in four games. That's a failure. Trinity Rodman was the least impressive of the young players who are attacking wise. And you know, you look at it, John, four goals scored, none in the final two games. Um great to see Sophia Smith get a brace and everything. Certainly the the Colorado girls weren't the ones at fault, but um this competition could have been so much more despite the close calls and the injuries and other stuff going on. And lots of, lots of questions are going to be asked of the younger players and of Vlako Andonovsky in the months to come. Yeah, I agree, Matt. And when I looked at the matches up to their play in the World Cup, the ones that Burgundy Wave covered on the road, say against the Republic of Ireland, 
Uh, and then, you know, reality sets in. You lose Becky and, and a, a stellar defenseman, right? We lose Mallory Pugh. And now players have to step up, and it's players who maybe have the least amount of experience to have to step in. And what what I witnessed from my vantage point behind the goal, you know, somewhere around the 18-yard uh, line, was every time that Sophia Smith got the ball, it was double-teaming, triple-teaming. If you could take her out of action, so to speak, boy, did you, as a defensive team, improve your chances to prevent a shot, prevent a goal, which they did, or take the ball off her foot and then start to transition in the other direction. Without Pew on the other side and with Alex Morgan, as you said, sort of, you know, not being the lead striker, falling back a little bit is at least what some of the other writers were observing from their vantage point up in uh, the press box. Now it's down to Sophia Smith, and those two are one out of the picture, Mallory Swanson, and then uh, Alex Morgan, uh, not really engaged. Uh, it's easy for the defense then to, to you know, swamp uh, uh, Sophia Smith, and you end up with these games where we have few shots on goal, and the ones that are are right into the hands of a goalkeeper and all of a sudden uh, we're exposed and here we are still here but they're all flying back to mainland United States or to Europe in Lindsay's case and it's over with yeah so it is what it is uh John I'm I'm curious you know we've both covered we've been around the national teams when they've come in come in for camp in Colorado we've traveled to cover them as well yeah. we've seen them in the context of a gold cup. I can't remember if you covered Copa America when it was here in the U.S., but we, we've seen the the pocket, the insulated. The but we've seen the national team when it's had an insulated but a focused moment before. I have not experienced a World Cup in person from a media standpoint in that regard. I'm sure you saw all of the hullabaloo that happened with the comments from Carly Lloyd. How? insulated to all of that do you think was the group how much of that do you think maybe um you know uh, found its way into and seeped and festered in an unhealthy way this was a group who in 2019 megan rapino was openly feuding with and adding donald trump on twitter as they were fighting through the knockout stage and everything and this is a group that almost reveled in the hate that was toward them both from an on the field standpoint and in terms of what they were trying to do from a a feminist uh, social justice standpoint how much do you think that got in their heads and got back to them not just when people asked about them in a media context how much do you think that got into their heads in a distracting way rather than a motivating way? Well, you bring up a good point. They certainly were quizzed about it. Uh, if uh, you were standing next to me in some of the uh, press conferences, whether after a game, after practice, you know, uh, Collie Lloyd's statements certainly were being uh, raised and responses were being asked from uh, the head coach all the way through a mix of players. So they certainly heard about it. Some went to their social media accounts above and beyond the reporters 
and shared their perspectives. Uh, and when it comes to impacting them, which is the gist of your question, I really do not think um, it, it swayed them. It tilted them. Think about this, Matt. You know it all too well. When you've got hecklers in the audience, when you've got people just coming down on you and they're yards away from you, all right, they are really hearing that type of uh, verbiage and are used to it, all right? They're deflecting it. Now, here coming from a fellow alumni, former teammate, I'm sure it stings. But these are very resilient human beings, right? Not only as athletes, but just steely when it comes to being competitive and hearing, you know, backlash, uh, whether it's directed at you or at your team. I think they hear it, it stings, it rubs off, and they move on. I think what's more bitter for them is as a collective team, what hurts is that they just did not pull it all together at the right time and advance. They, they were the number one pick, Matt. You know that. They in England, and it's over with at this point. That really hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all good things that are said well there, John. Um, John, obviously, most people who are listening, there are other outlets that will better cover the Women's World Cup from a comprehensive standpoint. Uh, John, if I'm going to be honest with you, I've watched the um, I've watched maybe five or six games uh, live. And, um, you know, obviously four of those were uh, United States games. Uh, we're, co- we're coming. I think it's tomorrow night. There's a quarterfinal, John, that back here mountain time zone is 7 p.m. And the rest of the games we have are in the middle of the night. You know, the final is at probably one of the worst times, albeit technically on a you know, early Sunday morning a.m. I'm not sure I'm going to watch another game live the rest of the way, John. I'll probably record the final and watch the final, you know, later, you know, at a reasonable hour on that Sunday. But, you know, let's talk from a from a certainly a Colorado perspective, got off to a great start and it looked like it was going to be fantastic. Sophia Smith with a brace, you know, she it's always good for a young new striker in their first World Cup, especially for the United States women's national team, to score in that first game. There were so many, probably just the, from a statistical standpoint, exhales from the 13-0 against Thailand because so many players got a goal or an assist that you could feel good about. And then obviously Sophia setting up Lindsay Haran to put the game away. And then after that, it certainly, you know, dried up. Lindsay with a fantastic shot that the Sweden goalkeeper made a save, and I wouldn't be shocked with, you know, four years from now, Sophia Smith, the night before our first game in the 2027 World Cup, she's probably going to have a nightmare and wake up in hot sweats about that chance. She, the open net she had at the end of the game against Sweden. Uh, what did what did you see from the two Colorado players? Did they do us justice in terms of us Colorado soccer as a state? Certainly, they're not. There are many other players that will be blamed in terms of this failure. They're certainly the coaching staff and Blotko deserve a big slice of blame pie, but just your thoughts on the Colorado girls and how they carried themselves given Sophia's uh, world cup debut and given certainly what Lindsay did as a world cup veteran and a co-captain. I saw a lot of things, Matt, not only their skills being displayed, uh, uh, you know, on the world stage, but also their leadership. 
I mean, Sophia Smith is, you know, 22 years old, and she's taking on a big role on this team. And she, just by default, as I said earlier, without Mallory Swanson there, without um, Alex Wheely playing to her uh, abilities, Sophia was the go-to person. And then having to overcome double and triple teaming, ball after ball, or being pushed to the sideline, and sometimes just working your way through it, God bless this talented individual uh, who well represents Colorado. At a minimum, so entertaining. You want to watch those uh, uh, taped uh, games over and over again because she's just amazing. And where she will take uh, this team is unimaginable from my perspective. I Again, I am blessed you are too just to have this person representing Colorado and affording us the opportunity to get to know them and to write about them. With Lindsey Horan, here's somebody who has really stepped up. Just think in about a year, she's gone from inheriting the number 10 kit number from Carly Lloyd and assuming the responsibilities, of course, with Alex Morgan, to be the co-captain of this team. That is a huge compliment to her. And the way she carries herself on the pitch and off the pitch is first rate. She was the first player that came to Sophia Smith's side after that uh, uh, decisive goal was announced. Uh, We call it now the pixel goal uh, versus the (laughs) millimeter goal that Sweden uh, scored. And Sophia Smith basically collapsed on her knees on the pitch, and there was, um, you know, a senior uh, member of the team in Lindsay Horan kneeling down next to her and consoling her like a parent would console a child who's uh, distraught or a bigger sister with her younger sister after a setback. And her leadership is first rate. And during the games, you see her pumping up her, her players. She wants the ball. Her ability to distribute the ball is first rate. And she's an attacker. And uh, that is another person we're blessed to have to entertain us and to lead into the future. We really have, Colorado really has a lot to be proud of uh, going forward. I just feel for them that it's just been, uh, you know, a tough finish and uh, but with that, as you know, in life, we have setbacks and it's how you grieve through those setbacks and then work your way back to giving it another try. And these are not quitters. These are individuals. And this is the entire team uh, that, you know, is taking it on the chin and now have to process it. Those that need to retire or want to retire because of. Uh, you know, they're respectively said their ages are going to move on. Others are going to say, all right, learning experience. We are not absolute people. We do falter. And what you saw in that final, that round of PKs, was players, the youngest that was out there, as well as the senior ones, faltering. And that, as you know, and many of your followers know, that is reality, right? Sometimes we fall back and have a setback and 
you take it and you move on. One th- one more thing from uh, Colorado's perspective I want to touch on, John. Again, I'm, I'm not sure how much you're seeing from a national media standpoint, but, you know, you look at the failure in penalties, obviously. I think Megan Rapino and Kelly O'Hara being veterans, especially Pino being a attacking player. Um, and, you know, I think she said, uh, I can't remember if I'm misremembering this quote, but I think she said at some point in an interview post game, she hadn't remembered the last, she can't remember the last time she missed a penalty competitively. So when, when we go back and we do, um, you know, we're already doing an autopsy on this women's national team and looking at the personnel decisions that Blockco has made over the course of the past four years and the personnel decisions and the, the substitutions or the lack thereof that he's made, that's going to come under scrutiny. The, uh, to your point, John, I've, I've looked at that Hawkeye screenshot that they have over that. I've looked at that 10 times as well. I still can't. It's almost like the it was Japan against somebody in the men's World Cup. And it was uh, it was whether or not the ball was out before it was put into the box and then a goal was scored. And then uh, they came up with the meme of like the when you do the like recapta thing to prove that you're not a robot. And it's like the select the photos <laughs> that have a bicycle or that have a um, have a stop sign in it. And then it was like the, it was all of those and was select where there was a soccer ball. I'm still not sure. To your point like we're, we're talking millimeter or submillimeter accuracy as an engineer i can appreciate that look into the photo yeah. of the naked eye i still can't tell and i mean you're talking you're talking inches about the uh the, the women not getting out of the group with portugal and maybe the soccer gods smiled on them that night but you know Alyssa nair gets another you know she gets like we're, we're talking like length of her thumbnails like pushing through to make her glove a millimeter longer in terms of getting to that spin and keeping that out. And, you know, who knows, maybe, um, you know, maybe Naomi Gurma steps up and smashes one and then we're having a different conversation right now. But to, to get long rambling aside, John, you already mentioned the reaction and the veteran approach to Sophia Smith, who missed one of those penalties. I think in terms of people who will be at fault for the whole of the failure, of this World Cup, Sophia Smith and Lindsay Horan are not in the top 10. And I think certainly when we look back in the context of the penalties against Sweden, I think Kelly O'Hare and especially Megan Rapinoe will bear more of that responsibility in terms of their misses. And, you know, Alyssa Nair, who has a track record with stopping penalties, I can't remember if it was the semifinal or the final in 19. She stopped a penalty that was from the run of play, not like going two penalties. But, you know, you face seven of them. Two of those were misses and the other five were on goal and you didn't make a stop. Um, you know, you'd expect a player for, you know, you'd expect a World Cup winning goalkeeper to make that save before. Um, uh, John, your thoughts on Sophia specifically missing a penalty and anything else you noticed that could be an indication of how she took it or how it's a, a lesson learned for her to be better coming back to Portland Thorns and coming back to the national team for 2027? Well, she's definitely going to come back. Um, she's probably already in Portland getting back together with her teammates there. Uh, the Olympics are not too far off, so she will be a starting member barring any, uh, uh, you know, traumatic, uh, uh, events health wise, uh, she'll be on that, uh, team and in the starting, uh, 11 along with, I would predict Mallory and certainly, um, uh, Lindsay. And you know, what, what is there to say? She reacted like a human being. She really felt it. It was beyond a sting. I was, um, you know, positioned 
behind the left side of the goal. Uh, Nair was all of us kind of going through her psych up. So when she would uh, be in the goal, she would run literally a yard from us, uh, uh, bend over and just talk to herself and uh, like to psych herself up to get focus so she can go back in there and attempt to stop the next one. But just over her shoulder, towards the middle of the field, you saw all of the players that were in line. And when um, the game was over, Smith was, like I said earlier, on her knees and weeping. So she reacted like any human being would be because this is paramount in her life right now to, you know, be the best that she can be. And she emoted because of the pain. And with that comes growth. Uh, and I see her just propelling this team going forward for quite a while. We'll get easily 12 years out of her. Now, when it comes to Rapino and O'Hara, gosh, you would have bet that they would have had no problem in putting it into the back of the goal. My only question was why Alex Morgan was not out there. So you would have had three veteran players, and all it would have taken is one to make the difference in O'Hara, Morgan, and Rapino to score a goal in those PKs. I question uh, why she came off and not someone else come in during the waning minutes of that game. Um, you know, perhaps, you know, that's, that's the coach's decision. And uh, maybe her legs were just exhausted and, and, uh, Latko was being super conservative, but those are three strong, uh, penalty kickers. And, you know, we can only speculate why and such, but, uh, Back to Sophia, you know, she's taken it like a champion. And uh, she didn't speak with media after uh, the game. She was definitely heartbroken, walked by everyone, but has taken to her Instagram to speak up since then and appreciate media, appreciate her teammates, and appreciate her fans and the supporters. That's professionalism from top to bottom. Last question that I've got for you, maybe second to last one that I've got for you, John. Um, as we've mentioned, there's there's a lot of opportunities here on HDHL that Mark and I like to talk about, like the inside baseball, the behind the scenes stuff that goes on. And we've talked about, you know, what media stuff looks like from a club standpoint, covering MLS, covering Champions League. And then certainly the national team is another thing. You know, rabbis spoke on on this podcast four or five times telling the story of the time that, you know, he got to go over and they had a special local press thing for the two Colorado girls when the women's national team was here in Colorado. As I mentioned, we've covered gold cups. We've covered both national teams when they've done friendlies or competitive games at DSG. Is there anything being, you know, in the media somewhat inside the bubble for an entire Women's National Team World Cup that you've noticed that's been, you know, eye-opening or really interesting or just from a, like, a hey, I'm doing media stuff, like, this is this is an awesome opportunity and I'm lucky to be here? Well, I am lucky to be here, right, Matt? You know it. Uh, when U.S. soccer, international soccer comes to Colorado, you and I are some of the first that apply. And we do pinch ourselves because we realize you know, who we are 
you know, who, who was it? Mark that said, you know, we're all volunteers. You have your profession. I have my profession. He has his profession. But somewhere in there, we are gifted with this opportunity to cover the world sport and at a high level. And we're there and bringing it to our fans and to our followers right? and doing it at a high order. And that being said, for me to be here and with, you know, rubbing shoulders with the top journalists, top photographers, I'm tickled pink many times over. And, uh, you know, we are all treated very respectfully by both U.S. soccer. You know, we have access to all the practices. We have access uh, to the press conferences before and after. Uh, every question that is raised is answered. So there's no interruption by a handler, so to speak, to say move on. That's inappropriate. Uh, the players and the coaches take it the way they should and are often giving us very insightful, um, you know, I I information about what is happening. Beyond that, FIFA has been first rate in taking care of us all. Um, uh, both in just, again, accommodations, transportations to all the different venues from downtown hotels and then providing us with information, stats and such that we can use to keep our followers up to date. So I think at the end of the day, um, you know, there's nothing that has not been detailed or uncovered, whether it's on uh, this uh, podcast or in the writings on the Burgundy Wave, and then from the other journalists. We've been looking for something different, something new, and the players have been accessible uh, per the terms and conditions of the teams, right? And, you know, we're giving what it is. Again, it is just unfortunate we're not able to stick with the U.S. even longer in order to, you know, portray their story and grand vision of winning this uh, World Cup and maintaining that uh, or achieving the three-peat that we were all talking about uh, months ago. Last one for me, John. Uh, I think Japan goes on and wins it, and I think it will be against – I think it will be France and England in that uh, in that other semifinal. I've, I think it's too close to call between who wins that, but – uh, Japan will be my champion. I think they've been the most consistent. I think they've got the fewest weaknesses, and they're playing collectively as a team. Uh, who do you have winning? Who do you have winning the title? What a week from Sunday! I'm with you, Matt. Um, now, with that, we always say up in the press booth, anything can happen. Look at where U.S. is. No one would have predicted their early exit, especially with the roster that they had. But I agree with you wholeheartedly that unless there is a catastrophe, uh, Japan should go the, uh, the entire way. Look how many goals they have scored and look how technical and textbook they have. I mean, that is a machine that uh, is going to be very difficult to stop. So I see them going the whole way with you, Matt. Okay. John, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad we were able, able to make this work after I got home, not super late from the our two games. So whoever at MLS Next Pro decided to make that a six o'clock kickoff as opposed <laughs> to a seven thirty. So I'm not talking to you at like midnight right now for me is good. And it's uh, what is it? Is uh, it eleven a.m. for you, John? Is it lunchtime? Uh, closer to two. Closer it's to six two. hours. Okay. Yeah, closer to two o'clock. 
My stomach is grumbling, Matt. All right. Uh, well, John, uh, I'll let you get off to lunch, but, you know, thank you again. You've been fantastic yeah. for Burgundy Wave. It was great to have you on for the podcast right. and everything. Um, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon once you get back and, you know, are done with being jet lagged after the, the final on the 20th. Yeah. Well, you know where I'm going, Matt. I'm going to Ukraine after this. So, Slava <laughs> Ukraine. And uh, I've got work to do there. My uh, mood will change real quick when I arrive there and go from all the fanfare here to their reality and and uh, me trying to help out. So thank you. Thanks for this opportunity, Matt. It was great to team up with you and be on your team here in the down under. <laughs> all right. Uh, listeners, we'll be back. I'll give some thoughts on, on the Rapids, and then uh, we'll let you get off to your Rapids-free weekend. And we're back holding the high line with Just Red. Uh, John, I want to thank you again for joining me and making it work from a time zone and a technology standpoint, given uh, all of your moving around that you're doing from a traveling standpoint now that you're in Australia for the duration of the tournament. And I'm glad we were able to make it work and have it not be at a horribly unreasonable hour for either of us. So I've got a few notes on the Rapids 2 game that took place tonight. First of all, listeners, this was another really good example of the Rapids organization choosing to use a break for the first team as an opportunity to get minutes for the first team at the MLS Next Pro level. All 11 starters were players who are technically contracted with the first team, and I would argue you've got nine first-teamers who were of the 11 who were in the starting 11. I would call it mostly a 4-2-3-1. Marco Ilicha was in goal. You had a back four from left to right of Steven Betisher, Abubakar Keita, Moise Bambito, and Sebastian Anderson. In a double pivot in midfield, you had Ralph Prizo, who did not have a good game in possession, nor from a defensive standpoint. He and Moise had a really big kerfuffle that led to a turnover that led to the third goal for Dynamo Dos. Uh, so it was Priso and Nicholson. And then uh, up top, you had uh, Diego Rubio in the center in the number 10 role wearing the captain's armband. He was flanked by Darren Yappi on his left and Kevin Cabral on his right. And Rafael Navajo, as I mentioned earlier, making his Rapids organizational debut, obviously not his Rapids first team debut. Uh, and the Ra- Colorado was actually listeners in the New Day kits in their blue. Uh, I heard from a club official that apparently Next Pro thought there was an issue with Houston coming in and wearing their darker, I think almost blackish secondary kit, and that being too close in tone to the burgundy. I don't know why then you didn't just have Rapids 2 in their all burgundy and then Dynamo 2 in their all orange. I figured that would have been different enough, but black versus light blue, I guess, is more of a contrast than burgundy to Dynamo orange. But so in any case, uh, Navajo wearing more blue than burgundy um, in the case of tonight. So uh, I would call that nine regular first teamers, folks. Uh, Sebastian Anderson has one appearance for two minutes in MLS play this season. I would not call him. He's a first team contracted player. If we're comparing, you know, was this an R2 lineup or an R1 lineup? I would say Sebastian Anderson was a part of R2 in that regard. And Bombito, despite being a homegrown holdover from his time with Columbus Crew and then, uh, you know, now being with the Rapids for two years, he obviously didn't play at all last year due to the ACL injury. And he's yet to make his first team debut. So 11 Rapids first team contracted players in the starting 11 and then nine regular players that are in and around training with the first team not with r2 and the lineup was almost exclusively 
was entirely our two players. Ali Laraz, Marlon Vargas, Aguirre, Amadou, Blake Malone, Yosuke Hanya, Adam Bondry was the goalkeeper, Dylan Serna, and then Jackson Travis as well. And, you know, I thought the the Rapids came out. I, I suppose most of you are wondering how Navajo looked. I liked his movement off the ball. I don't think from a team performance standpoint, they did enough to get him touches and get him touches in dangerous areas where he could do something with it. But I think unlike Yappi, where we've seen him struggle and get emotional, I thought Navajo, every single touch or possession he had of the ball was productive or him trying to do something that unlike Kevin Cabral in the past was just Kevin getting the ball, maybe in a little bit of space or trying to create space, trying to dribble past the defender and then promptly giving it up and making it too easy on the opposition. I thought Navajo's movement off the ball was good. I think he was positive and tried to do something on goal. It didn't really work. Obviously the Rapids goal that was scored by Diego Rubio. What was it? 20 minutes in, I believe. 18 minutes in, uh, there was a wide ball out to Navajo on the end line uh, to, I guess, his right of goal. If you were viewing this game from the northern boundary, it would have been to your left of goal. And then he tries to put the ball into the box for Darren Yappi, and it's off target. Yappi ends up chasing it down, giving it to Diego Rubio, who's at the top corner of the box. And Rubio cuts inside and then just perfectly curls it opposite side, top corner, absolute banger, fantastical from him. Dwayne Brown with a, you know, a, a, a meme face reaction to that, certainly, if you want to look that up on the Bird app, folks. So... I thought Navajo looked decent given the circumstances around him. He looked like a player who was still getting used to his surroundings. The fact that he only played 45 minutes tells me he's a player who's still working in and ramping up in terms of his loading, in terms of training, in terms of getting used to altitude and getting used to his teammates. I thought Diego Rubio looked decent in terms of what he tried to do on the ball, but just, again, looks like a player who has had injuries, who is not 90 minutes fit, and then thus 90 minutes sharp from a form standpoint. And Yappi and Cabral looked like energetic players who are trying to do stuff in space, but not particularly confident, nor particularly, uh, nor bringing quality when it came to the final third. Kevin Cabral was his typical self when we've seen him from a wide position. He made some runs where he was on side and players tried to find him with, you know, 30, 40 yard balls and none of them connected. I remember one from Ralph Prizo that looked like it was on, but then it was just a little bit too far. Kevin gives up on it with the goalkeeper coming off his line to deal with it rather routinely. And so that's been a disappointment. And, you know, we've seen Darren Yappi, who did score a brace on the weekend when R2 beat Vancouver Whitecaps to 6-2-2. Vancouver had two goals. Rapids 2 had six goals. God, these numbers are so confusing. I I wish MLS Next Pro could come up with different names and numberings for this so that we didn't have numbers in team names to then confuse with the scoreline. To say nothing of when MLS Next Pro gets a draw and then it goes to penalties, so then you have to include the penalty score in that. It's too confusing for me in the media here, folks. So, um, Navajo saw some positives. Uh, Really good comments from Sebastian Anderson on the initial impressions he's seen from Navajo in the first week that he's been with the club. Uh, Quote, he's a great aerial presence. Excited to see what he has to offer for our first team. And then he wanted to say uh, he's obviously a great player. For me, what sticks out is his holdup play and his finishing. That's something he's definitely, he'll definitely bring here and something we've been needing. He wins his duels. He's very direct. Rapids fans are going to love him. So, Net positive on Navajo. 
want to give Diego Rubio the benefit of the doubt at this point, but he's still working his way back into being ready. Um, and then obviously, uh, Yappi and Cabral continue to be known quantities and disappointing quantities in that regard. Where it was just a really big disappointment for me, listeners, and I thought Sebi again subbed it, summed it up really well. Was just you know you had you had a Rapids first team effectively going up against a true Dynamo dose side. Uh, Dynamo had a 15 year old in their starting eleven, and the Rapids come out in the first 20 minutes and are slightly the better team. They get a goal, and then it's just a drop off. And you know you had two mistakes. Um, you know Houston plays it quickly on a throw in in the 38th, and that leads to a mess up at the back from a defensive standpoint for. Rapids 2, and that leads to a goal to tie it up, which was completely preventable. Nicholson a little bit out of position on the on the throw-in. Ralph Preso doesn't go back and track well, and then the center backs don't deal with it particularly well either. Um, and just unfortunately for Marco Ilicha, every single game that I've seen of him where he's been with R2, just the defense in front of him has let him down, and he's just conceded a bunch of goals. Uh, I, I don't know if that comes down to he's not familiar with his team or anything, or they're not familiar with him. Maybe there's still a bit of a language barrier there, or maybe he's just used to training with the first team center backs. And then when he has to play in front of a Mike Edwards, in front of a Buba Carqueta, he doesn't have Connor Ronan or Brian Acosta there or anything. And just the shape's not right. And there's a shot that he doesn't have a chance to get at. So he doesn't make a diving effort or isn't expecting the shot or he's blindsided or, um, you know, um, not muted. What am I thinking of? Screened. That's the term that I was thinking of. And then he's unable to deal with that. But so um, Sebi with some really strong words in his opening statement about the game. Quote, for me, it wasn't uh, it wasn't good enough as a team. I want to kind of apologize to all the second team guys uh, that are doing so well right now. We got a group of first team guys that come in here and we are expected to win. Just like the second teams expected to win, ultimately we couldn't get that done. Uh, it's a, It was a very frustrating night overall, end quote. And then he goes on to say, I think this was in response to my question later on in the press conference, uh, quote, it wasn't really good enough from me, myself, the team. Uh, one thing I can think of well, was uh, is not really a reason, more of an excuse, is a group of guys who haven't played together, many who haven't played too many minutes together. So some strong words from Sebastian Anderson off the top of my head from my memory listeners. This is the first time we've gotten unprompted a public on the record apology from someone at the club since the final couple months of the Hudson era. And those apologies would have come from Anthony Hudson himself as well. So Sebi certainly upset. I don't know how to sum up the game tonight for our two any better listeners than, you know, again, nine players that you would expect to be in the squad for a first team game should one be taking place this weekend and that team went out and lost to a definitively Dyna MLS Next Pro Dynamo 2 team. Let me look up to see where Dynamo 2 are in the table because I did not look that up before the game. If they're bottom of the table, this is going to look even worse. I really hope they're not. Um Okay. Okay. Houston Dynamo 2 are fourth in MLS Next Pro. They're on 35 points. And then uh, R2 are still top of the table overall in MLS Next Pro on 48 points off of 21 games played. Should be pointed out, Crown Legacy FC, who are Charlotte's affiliate, are one point behind them. They have 47 points, but they do have a game in hand. Or no, excuse me. They've both played 
21 points. So um, R2 still leading overall in MLS Next Pro, the proverbially the supporter shield standings, but Crown Legacy are within one game, are within one point of them as well. But so to get back to my original point, listeners, this has been a, a meandering conversation. Um, you had effectively a first team lineup coming up against a very good but distinctly MLS Next Pro side, and they scored the first goal. They were leading 18 minutes in, and they found a way to lose the game 3-1. And it was not good enough. And a lot of the issues that plagued the first team plagued this team as well. Not being sharp enough with the ball, not being physical enough at moments in which it called for it. And then with the opportunities they had not being good enough uh, attacking wise, they had a number of opportunities on set pieces, a couple good sniffs, just not good enough from a service standpoint from Sebastian Anderson, nor Ali Laraz later in the game, and then not good enough finishing from them either. Kevin Cabral, Darren Yappi can't create dangerous opportunities for themselves uh it was once again emblematic that the one really good attacking moment you had was Diego Rubio creating something on his own rather than through collective team play Moise Bombito or no excuse me Darren Yappi drew a penalty um in the final 30 minutes of the second half and Marlon Vargas goes up and takes it and it gets saved um and so a first team lineup for the Rapids went out lost 3-1 to Houston Dynamo 2 and this was a game that had you played the had Eric Boucher been able to play his full typical Rapids two team, this is a game that I would have expected R two to win. And so you had a Rapids first team lose a game that I would have expected R two to win. That's unfortunately where this club's at right now. Um, but we'll see what uh, Rafael Navajo is able to do, and I am excited to see his first team debut against LAFC if it happens next Sunday, hopefully. Last question that I've got, uh, this is an Ask HTHL that we got um, a couple days ago. This comes from Hammer, uh, David at David Hamer 9 uh, Last name for David is H-M-E-R, but then on his name, not his uh, Twitter um, not his Twitter um, handle, or I guess his X handle. It's Hamer, H-A-M-E-R. So, David, I apologize if I'm confusing how to pronounce your last name. I'm sure I'm not the first one to get this mixed up. But in any case, David asks, uh, what's the best part of being a Rapids fan at Rapids 9-6 Podcast? For me, it's knowing that by the time European teams start playing meaningful games, uh, the Rapids will not be. Hashtag C-O-Y-S, hashtag Burrow. Um, so, first of all, David, I want to say good luck to Middlesbrough as they try to fight for promotion again in the English Championship. Um, and my apologies in advance for um, Tottenham Hotspurs uh, disappointing you, finding a way to not clinch European competition, and then Harry Kane leaving for Real Madrid or Manchester United for free uh, in one year's time. So, uh, David, I guess, first of all, I'll caveat this by I, I do so much of this media stuff that I am, as the Corner of the Galaxy staff would say me, I'm, I'm wearing my reporter's hat more often. I, I wouldn't categorize myself as a... Rapids fan. I've been doing media long enough to where I'm more interested in what's happening, why it's happening, and then what it means, and then what story is going on there, more so than getting lost in whether or not the team's winning or losing. I had a member of the organization ask me, I think during the Hudson era, whether or not I cared if the team won or lost. And my honest answer was no. 
I don't root for teams. I root for people. I root for good stories. And I think there is many. I think there are many good stories that are relevant in terms of sports. How you do a roster build, how you go about coaching, the successes, failures, lessons, and joys that can come on the pitch from a team that finishes top of the table, wins the Supporter Shield, wins MLS Cup, breaks a bunch of records in Major League Soccer. I think there's many interesting stories that are to be had from that situation as there are from a season that just goes completely pear-shaped. There's a bunch of injuries, coaches get fired, and the team ends up winning the wooden spoon. I think both of those are equally interesting. Obviously, one is extremely exciting and fun to be around from a media standpoint. One is extremely depressing and not fun to be around from a media standpoint. And so in that regard, I'm almost reserved. I'm, I'm closer to the George Carlin had a really good bit in his stand-up about how being born on Earth, you get a ticket to the freak show that is human society. And you, if you are born in America, you get a ticket in the front row. And he kind of had a very Sigma male approach to, I'm removing myself from the situation. I'm not rooting for the system to correct itself. I'm not rooting for its downfall. I'm just making a bunch of, I'm just looking at it. I'm making a bunch of observations. And then I'm taking the my fellow audience members through it to better understand it and then maybe have a laugh at the end of the day as well. And so I would say that's where I'm at from that standpoint, David. And so in that regard, the thing for me is for a club that has been, I think, spectacularly non-competitive for most of the time that I've covered them, for a club that's been irrelevant, for a team that is not in the forefront from a local media standpoint, a national media standpoint, or an international media standpoint, there's been a lot of WTF, this is so weird, this is so MLS, this is crazy, I will never see this again moments as well. You know, you, you could argue the top 25 craziest weather events in the history of Major League Soccer, that 10 of those have occurred at Dick Sporting as Park. You could argue one of the weirdest World Cup qualifiers in the history of the United States men's national team was the original Snow Classico in 2013 at DSGP. I have seen double red cards. I have seen, uh, you know, games that, uh, that that go past midnight. There's not a single rapid season that doesn't have a absolutely bizarre moment. You know, we could have, you know, HTHL did the 2019 Rapids Bizarro season because we thought it was so weird and we thought nothing could possibly top this. And then 2020 said both globally and in an MLS sporting Rapids context, hold my beer. And then just when I thought those two seasons wouldn't be weird, this season again has so many parallels to 2019 in terms of crazy, improbable things that have occurred. And so despite us, you know, despite me being around and covering a team for almost a decade, that is the ugly stepchild of the KSC sporting empire, where it's not clear to me that ownership is fully invested in the ways they are in the abs or the nuggets or certainly the Rams or arsenal that there's still interesting and crazy stories to write about there's still occasional oh my god this is so strange moments that other people around the league around the country around the world take notice to and everything and so i don't know this is a particularly good club to be honest i don't know this is a club that's going to get any better to your point david uh the biggest relief for you is that once the uh, you get to the point where the European club season is back starting in August, September. You can mostly, uh, you know, 
decouple your emotions from the Rapids and watch and see Burrow find a way to not get promoted and watch Tottenham, despite decreasing expectations and the mood around there to once again disappoint you other than Harry Kane and uh, Song putting up goals. And so regardless of how poor this club is financed, regardless of how wrong things can go, there is always something interesting to see. There's always something that's kind of funny to laugh at, to marvel at in the weirdness. Um, We went into the usual press room for first team games for the uh, post game for R2 tonight because the game was at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. And it was set up like the normal uh, Rapids press conference is set up. And they had the backdrop that was the first team backdrop. And they actually have a MLS Next Pro R2 backdrop that they had to go get and put in there. And logistically, it didn't have a whole lot of space. And the way that the kind of the the awning, the setup is anchored to this almost uh, bracket-like thing, it was weird and not ergonomical in terms of getting it over the table. And two staffers were trying to get it over the table while not tripping on any of the camera or the mic cords. Uh, one of their phones was on the table. I grab it. I grab the mic. And so they're kind of just trying to uh, it's like that scene from Austin Powers where like they're in the underground evil lair and he's got the little like golf cart thing and he's trying to, you know, U-turn around in a super narrow hallway and it ends up being like a 17 point turn as he goes like a couple of degrees every single point turning back and wheel and spinning the wheel and everything and it was that kind of a moment and Brendan Plone takes out his phone and it's like this is ridiculous, this is grassroots soccer as this nature, let me pull up my phone and take a picture of this because this is hilarious and something people don't see so, uh, you know, go check out uh, Brendan Plone's Twitter if you haven't seen that photo and it's just, it's me and Kenzie Frey who the comms person for Rapids 2 just kind of laughing at that little moment and that's that's one of a hundred little moments I've had behind the scenes directly sporting related or not that I think are incredibly unique to the Colorado Rapids and it's something that is just it's an oddity that makes it memorable and it's an oddity that makes it you know either fun or emotionally devastating and you find a way to um, find whatever rainbows you can in the darkest thunderstorms that are delaying Rapids games and leading to really poor seasons. And that's what, and the fact that that continues to happen regardless of how much time passes or how much changes around the club. And the fact that you continue to have a community that mostly is able to endure that and find some joys and cry and then feel better about it or move on from it uh, continues to be the joy. And one of the best things and the most meaningful and the most uh, purposeful aspects of my time covering the Colorado Rapids. So, uh, David, I hope you answered your question. Uh, I hope you got some interesting info about this, and I hope I didn't butcher your last name too terribly. All right, this podcast has gone on for an hour, and given that the Rapids haven't played a game since, uh, we'll get out of here. So, um, listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Rapids Nine Six Podcast. Check out, um, you know, all of our uh, written content from an HDHL perspective at our Substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. We do still have pint glasses available. If you want a Cheers to the Six Twenty Twenty Three HTHL pint glass, you can get that. Head on over to our Substack and subscribe to us. Give us forty-two bucks for the year, and we'll get in touch. We'll get a good mailing address, and we'll ship that out to you and you will be able to commiserate or drink with joy uh 
your beverage of choice out of that pint glass. Uh, Rabbi and I will be back next week for five minutes to uh, confirm to you uh, via preview that we believe the Rapids will lose to LAFC, assuming that game is taking place on the 20th. We'll see you then, assuming it's happening. Maybe. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.